The Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 11. Front Cover Text. A parallel tug-of-war and parallel import, Russia and Ukraine grope for a solution. Intellectual property, cybersecurity, and malicious domain names, how to combine it. Three answers to help you safely manage your intellectual property assets and domain names. Potential pitfalls and threats against the resolution of IP matters at the trademarks registry through ADR. Judicial application of punitive damages in China. Patent intelligence, transforming patent information into insight. Diagnostic method patent eligibility puzzle. The 2021 AP World Congress Online highlights and a focus on the Unified Patent Court. Written by Diamud Dafawaid, AIPPI Communication Manager and Dr. Christoph Argenstein, Chair of the Unitary Patent, Unified Patent Court Standing Committee and a member of the Enforcement Standing Committee AIPPI. Quarter page front cover strip advert. Patent seekers. The Global Patent Searchers. International Design and Patent Search Company www.patentseekers.com, mail at patentseekers.com, call plus 44-01633-816-601, page 2. Inside front cover advertisement. Gorodiski. IPNTMT Law. www.gorodiski.com. Page 3. Editor's Note and the Editorial Board. Dear readers. Welcome to the 11th issue of the Global IP Matrix magazine. It has been a very demanding past 18 months or so, and we sincerely hope that some form of normality has come back into your lives as the world gradually starts to open up again. We have had highs and lows, but one thing is for sure, the global IP community has been there with us all the way, keeping us up to date with the industry ground-level news from all four corners of the universe. The Global IP Matrix magazine has been happy to play its part in this by delivering content from industry professionals from all over the world and this next edition is no different. This will be our conference special with AIPPI's Dr. Christoph Argenstein headlining this edition, together with Diamud Dafawait laying out what to expect at the 2021 AIPPI Congress online. We also welcome newcomer Mr. Samad Hassan Manto, managing partner at Audiri Vox in Dubai, to the Global IP Matrix magazine to share his views on globally well-known and regional marks plus much more inside. We are constantly researching industry thought leaders to join our publication. We would love to hear from you if you have knowledge of new IP or innovation developments in your region or internationally across the whole intellectual property ecosystem. Please feel free to contact any team member for more information on our editorial and branding packages. Kind regards. Elvin Hassan. Editor and Head of International Liaisons. The Global IP Matrix Magazine Editorial Board. Gabriella Bowden, partner at eProwint, www.eprowint.com, Costa Rica. Marek Berry Managing Partner and Patent Attorney at Berry & Berry, www.bnb-ip.eu, Poland. Mr. of Fame Funa Francis Nuwakedi, Principal Counsel of Stillwaters Law Firm, www.stillwaterslaw.com, Nigeria. Ms. Brenda Matanga, Managing Attorney and Head of Practice at B. Matanga IP Attorneys for Africa, www.bmatanga.com, Zimbabwe. Ms. Laura Castillo, Partner at Inventiva Espacio Legal, www.inventivaespatheolegal.com, Dominican Republic. 
Ms. Ruta Oman immediate past president of ECTO and associate partner of Metida www.metida.lt, Latvia. Page 4. Contents page. The Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 11. Page 7. Guilty by ignorance, American or not strict liability to website owners that do not comply with the ADA. Michelle Katz, founder partner at Advitum IP, LLC, Chicago, USA. Trademarks. Page 10. A parallel tug-of-war in parallel import, Russia and Ukraine grope for a solution. Vladimir Byrayulin, partner at Gorodisky and Partners, Moscow, and Elena Beloshuk, head of legal department at Gorodisky and Partners, Kiev. Page 15. The bigger, the better. Comes with a proviso. Saumad Hassan Manto, managing partner at Ordiri Vox, Dubai. United Arab Emirates. Page 19. Intellectual Property, Cybersecurity and Malicious Domain Names, How to Combine It. Three Answers to Help You Safely Manage Your Intellectual Property Assets and Domain Names. Natalie Dreyfus, Founder and Managing Partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France. Page 23. What is worth copying is worth protecting, protection of unregistered marks in Sri Lanka. Sabira Sheriff. Associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Page 25. Potential pitfalls and threats against the resolution of IP matters at the Trademarks Registry through ADR. Ifeonyi Emmanuel Okonkwo, Associate at Stillwater's Law Firm, Nigeria. Page 29. Judicial application of punitive damages in China. Ray Zhao, LLM, Senior Partner. Head of the International Trademark Team, Attorney at Law and Trademark Attorney at Unitail and Attorneys at Law, China. Voices of the Associations. Page 34. The 2021 AIPPI World Congress Online highlights and a focus on the Unified Patent Court. Dear Madafawite, AIPPI Communication Manager and Dr. Christoph Argenstein, Chair of the Unitary Patent. Unified Patent Court Standing Committee and a member of the Enforcement Standing Committee AIPPI. Page 38. Waltzing with IP ECTA 39th Annual Conference in Vienna Goes Hybrid. Miladin Vagmir, ECTA First Vice President, ECTA Program Committee Chair, HR. Patents. Page 41. The New Space Race, Who is Racing? Oliver Adele, Patent Analyst at Patent Seekers, UK. Page 45. Patent Intelligence, Transforming Patent Information into Insight. Caitlin Kavanagh, Marketing Manager, Mindsoft, UK. Page 47. Diagnostic Method Patent Eligibility Puzzle. Mr. DPS Palmer, Former Technical Member, Patents, Erstwhile Intellectual Property Appellate Board, Special Counsel, at Lexorbis, India. Page 52. Strategy Evolution in Times of Change. Dr. Gaurav Sahal, Global Head of Patent Prosecution at Sun Pharma. The Global IP Matrix magazine is published by Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited in the United Kingdom. Carlos Northen, CEO and founder at Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited and publisher of the Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World, Carlos at northernsprmarketing.com. Elvin Hassan, Editor for the Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World. Head of International Liaisons for Women's IP World, Elvin at womensipworld.com. Sandra Spencer. Sales Director, Asia.
and the Middle East, Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited, publishers of the Global IP Matrix magazine and Women's IP World, Sandra at NorthernsPRMarketing.com. Craig Barber, Head of Design for the Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World, info at NorthernsPRMarketing.com. Page 5. The Contributors to the Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 11. Michelle S. Katz. Founding Partner at Advitum IP, LLC, Chicago, USA. Dr. Christoph Argenstein. Chair of the Unit Repatent, Unified Patent Court Standing Committee and a member of the Enforcement Standing Committee AIPPI. Diamond Defawite. AIPPI Communication Manager. Samad Hassan Manto. Managing Partner at Odiri Vox, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Natalie Dreyfus. Founder and Managing Partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France. Maladin Vukmir. Ector First Vice President, Ector Program Committee Chair, HR. Vladimir Byrayalin. Partner at Gorodiski and Partners, Moscow. Elena Boloshuk. Head of Legal Department at Gorodiski and Partners, Kiev. Sabira Sheriff. Associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Caitlin Kavanagh. Marketing Manager, Mindsoft, UK. Oliver O'Dell. Patent Analyst at Patent Seekers, UK. Ifeonyi Emmanuel Okonkwo. Associate at Stillwater's Law Firm, Nigeria. Ray Zhao. LLM, Senior Partner, Head of the International Trademark Team, Attorney at Law and Trademark Attorney at Unitalian Attorneys at Law, China. Mr. DPS Palmer, Former Technical Member. Patents, erstwhile Intellectual Property Appellate Board, Special Counsel, at Lexorbis, India. Dr. Gaurav Sahal. Global Head of Patent Prosecution at Sun Pharma, India. Page 6. Adverts. Advertisement 1. Mark Inventor. Your Intellectual Property Agent in Eastern Europe and Asia. European Patent Attorneys. Domain Name and Register. C. Services. Patents, EP validations, PCT national applications, trademarks, models, copyright, domain names, searches, portfolio searched, company name searches, licensing, assignments, oppositions, litigations, customs actions, anti-counterfeiting, renewals and annuities. Mark Inventor Company, Limited Intellectual Property Services. Glinska Ulitsa 14 1000 Ljubljana SI Slovenia. Telephone, plus 38-614-266-503. Fax, plus 38-612-510-508. Email, office at markinventor.c. Website, www.mark-inventor.com. Advertisement 2. Chandrakant M. Joshi. Leading Indian IPR law firm. Established in 1968. Solitaire, 11, 7th floor, OPP, Infinity Mall, Link Road, Mallard, West, Mumbai, 1 to 400, 064 India. Telephone plus 91, 6858. Fax plus 91, 222, 888, 6859. Email. Patents at cjjoshi.com. Website. www.cmjoshi.com. Practice Areas 
Patents and Trademark Search, Patent and Trademark Watch, Registration, Post-Registration and Infringement Act for Patent, Trademarks, Design and Copyright, Translation of Patent Specification, Franchise and Joint Venture Agreements, Cyberlaw, Mergers and Acquisitions, Contact Person, Mr. Harold Chandrakant Joshi, Advertisement 3, Advertisement, United Trademark and Patent Services, International IP Attorneys. Your reliable partners for intellectual property matters in Pakistan, Southeast Asia, Arabian Gulf, Middle East and Africa since 1949. United Trademark and Patent Services, International IP Attorneys. Trademarks, Patents, Design, Copyright, Domain Name Registration, Litigation and Enforcement Services. Pakistan Office. 85. The Mall Road, Lahore 54000, Pakistan, adjacent Radio Kronos, Hang 10 Mall Plaza. Telephone, plus 92-423-362-855-8890, plus 92-423-362-855-8184. Email, unitedtrademark at unitedtm.com. Website, www.utmps.com and www.unitedip.com. Page 7. Article. Guilty by ignorance, American or not strict liability to website owners that do not comply with the ADA. Written by Michelle Katz, founder partner at Advitum IP, LLC, Chicago, USA. With the large numbers of ADA cases filed in the U.S. against website owners from around the world and from the dramatic circuit court split, businesses are getting mixed messages on what is required to maintain website compatibility in accordance with ADA guidelines. ADA stands for the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was enacted by Congress to create a national standard with regards to the equality of treatment and the availability of products and services for persons with disabilities. Traditionally, the ADA was limited to a place of public accommodation, which did not extend to the online world. In the wake of the pandemic and the growing reliance on reliable online services, federal lawsuits alleging violation of the ADA due to insufficient web access to people with disabilities are on the rise. More specifically, these plaintiffs allege that the websites and certain applications are incompatible with assistive technologies, such as screen readers for the visually impaired, or closed captioning for the hearing impaired and are, therefore, inaccessible to persons with disabilities. The volume of such lawsuits has been viewed as burdensome and has created mass panic across businesses of all sizes. Several cases have already made it through various circuits, the latest coming from the 11th Circuit and causing quite a stir in the legal community. The 11th Circuit picks a side. The 11th Circuit recently weighed in on the matter in Gil v. Windexie Stores Incorporated and ruled that a website is not a place of public accommodation within the meaning of Title III of the ADA1 Carlos Gill, who is legally blind, sued the Windexie website in July 2016 because it was incompatible with screen reader software. The store's website allowed customers to refill prescriptions and link online coupons to their store cards, but otherwise, all products still had to be picked up inside the store. The 11th Circuit took a textualist approach and held that the website was not a place of public accommodation because pursuant to the plain language of Title III of the ADA, public accommodations are limited to actual, physical places. Moreover, the 11th Circuit also found that Gill had other access to the goods and services offered by Winn-Dixie because Gill could go into the store to refill his prescriptions and redeem coupons.
The court said that a website does not create an intangible barrier unless it results in disabled people being excluded, denied services, segregated or otherwise treated differently from other individuals in the physical stores. The court focused on the heart of the ADA text and emphasized that although the ADA requires equal access, it does not mean that the access must be provided according to the consumer's preference. The circuit split. The 11th circuit joined the 3rd, 6th, and 9th circuits in concluding that websites are not considered places under the ADA unlike those three circuits, though, the 11th circuit expressly rejected the nexus approach that was established by the 9th circuit and adopted by the 3rd and 6th circuits. The Nexus standard holds that even though websites might not be included in the definition of places of public accommodation, they can be treated as part of the physical place of public accommodation if there is a strong nexus between the website and the physical store. After the Nexus theory was established, the number of ADA lawsuits drastically increased. In contrast, the first, second, and seventh circuits have taken a more pro-plaintive stance by saying that websites can be places of public accommodation, independent of any connection to a physical space. This makes it even easier for prospective plaintiffs to sue companies for ADA violations. For example, the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts held in National Association of the Deaf v. Netflix incorporated that Netflix's Watch Instantly website was a place of public accommodation as it fell within at least one of the enumerated examples in Title III, including service establishment, place of exhibition or entertainment, and rental establishment. The Supreme Court had the opportunity to resolve the circuit split in Robles v. Domino's Pizza LLC but declined the case. Until a uniform decision is made, or the Department of Justice decides to regulate the matter, it will be up to the circuits to field the onslaught of ADA lawsuits and companies, in relevant jurisdictions, to carefully consider redesigning their websites to accommodate accessibility concerns. Conclusion As these cases continue to rise, the Supreme Court will be obliged to accept one and unite the circuits under its interpretation of the law. Until then, Forum shopping will be the leading strategy, whichever side you are on. A humble recommendation to the courts, take a balanced approach to alleged ADA violations. You don't know what you don't know. Small business owners and non-US companies are not likely getting schooled on this aspect of US law. After all, it is in a company's best interest to comply, for unbeknownst to them, they are losing business from the population the ADA is trying to protect, which is large. Therefore, Instead of applying strict liability, use demand letters to educate and give companies a reasonable amount of time to cure website deficiencies or show that the amendments would cause an undue burden on the company. Page 9. Advertisement. Get ready for the IP event of the year. We're getting together in an exciting, first-of-its-kind format. Inter-2021 Annual Meeting, Virtual. Virtual, 5-day meeting. November 15th to 19th get together virtually. On-site, one-day mini-conferences in various regions. Get together in person. Register now throughout October 29th. Limited attendance at on-site mini-conferences. Register for the fully virtual meeting to gain registration access to mini-conferences at additional fee. www.inter.org forward slash 2021 AM. Maximize membership, your way, every day. Join today to secure a members-only registration fee for the 2021 annual meeting, plus enjoy other exclusive benefits. Page 10. Article. Article Disclaimer. 
Images relating to this article can only be seen in the print and digital versions of this publication. A parallel tug-of-war in parallel import, Russia and Ukraine grope for a solution. Written by, Vladimir Byrayulin, partner at Gorodisky and Partners, Moscow, and Elena Beloshuk, head of legal department at Gorodisky and Partners, Kiev to discuss the evolvement of parallel import in both Moscow and Kiev. There was no such concept as a parallel import in the USSR. When the USSR split, and the market economy came into being, many companies obtained the rights to import goods of all kinds. Accordingly, imports included the flow of goods authorized by the trademark owners as well as the goods imported by parallel importers without the knowledge of the relevant IP owner. Each country sought to regulate the parallel import and searched its way to deal with it from that time on. In Russia, legal regulation went from one extremity to another. When the first version of trademark law was adopted in 1992, Article 23 read that registration of a trademark does not allow its owner to forbid the use of the trademark in respect of the goods marketed by its owner or on his approval. This ambiguous wording allowed for double understanding. Trademark owners understood it in such a way that the goods could be sold on Russian territory with their permission only. Parallel importers argued that if the goods were marketed by the trademark owner in a foreign country, those goods could be further sold also in Russia. The law indeed was not clear in that regard. Concurrently, other provisions of the trademark law provided that unlawful use of a trademark entailed administrative, civil and criminal liability. The Code of Administrative Offences, Article 1410, read that unlawful use of trademarks or similar designations for similar goods entails fines, with confiscation of the products containing unlawful reproduction of the trademark. The keyword in that provision is unlawful. In the case of parallel import, the use may be interpreted as unlawful, but labeling is definitely lawful. What should the fate of parallel goods be? It was not clear. Notwithstanding, there were a number of administrative cases resulting in fines and destruction of parallel goods, civil cases, and even one criminal case resulting in a heavy fine. In order to bring clarity into the law, the words on the territory of the Russian Federation were added to the wording of Article 23, registration of a trademark does not allow its owner to forbid the use of the trademark in respect of the goods marketed by its owner or on his approval on the territory of the Russian Federation. That amendment significantly changed judicial practice in that parallel importers could not refer to lawful exterritorial sales of goods. Ukraine adopted its first trademark law two years later, in 1994. The Law of Ukraine on Protection of Rights to the Marks for Goods and Services, the trademark law, did not address specifically the issue of parallel import and merely prescribed that any encroachment on the trademark rights should be considered as violation thereof which may entail liability. The use of the trademark meant any use in respect of the goods and services indicated in the trademark certificate. Hence, any case of parallel import was considered as an infringement of the trademark rights. Later in 2003, Ukrainian legislators addressed the issue of parallel importation. They enlarged the scope of permitted trademark use by amending the trademark law. The amended law read that exhaustion of the trademark rights takes place when the trademarked goods are placed on the market by the trademark owner or with his consent. The trademark owner could prohibit the further resale of trademarked goods if it resulted in change or deterioration of the quality and condition of goods. It is interesting to note that many years later, the Russian Constitutional Court issued a judgment vaguely reminiscent of the Ukrainian trademark law regarding the resale of parallel goods. 
The Ukrainian law did not define at what point the holder's rights were exhausted, i.e. at the time of the first sale, anywhere in the world, or when the goods were imported to Ukraine, with the rights holder's permission. Thus, it was not clear whether the parallel import was an infringement of trademark rights or not. Because of ambiguity of the legal provisions, the Ukrainian courts could apply both principles of trademark rights exhaustion, national law or international, at their discretion. The courts were not able to develop a uniform approach either in civil or administrative proceedings. Upon the trademark owner's objection to parallel importation, the Ukrainian courts could deliver any of the judgments. The importation of goods without the trademark owner's authorization is unlawful. The claim to prohibit the import of trademarked goods shall be satisfied with full compensation of the trademark owner's damages. Upon the first sale of the goods, in or outside Ukraine, the trademark owner loses his right to control further trademark use. The laws of Ukraine do not prescribe prohibition or limitation of the parallel importation and do not prescribe the obligation of the customs authorities to combat it. The prohibition of parallel import may take place only if it results in change or deterioration of the condition of the goods. Since the trademark owner did not prove that the condition and quality of the goods are affected, there is no ground to hold the importer liable for the violation of the trademark rights. In some cases, the courts did not analyze the legality of parallel importation and rendered their judgments based on general procedural rules and other provisions of substantive law. Among the judgments rendered in favor of parallel importers, one such judgment confirmed the importer's prior use of the trademark. In contrast, the other one confirmed that the disputed import took place before the entry of the trademark in the relevant customs register. Thus, there was no legal ground to object to the goods importation and involve the customs authorities. As may be seen, the early versions of laws in Ukraine and Russia in some respects followed the same pattern. The lawmakers could not explicitly identify their position regarding parallel imports. As time went on, Russia amended its trademark law and incorporated it into the Civil Code in 2008. Article 1252 of the Civil Code provided that in cases where import of material carriers in which the means of individualization is expressed results in infringement of rights for such means those material carriers shall be considered counterfeit and shall be destroyed by decision of the court. Hence, it could be understood that there were two kinds of counterfeit goods, one, those labeled unlawfully by someone other than the trademark owner and two, labeled by the trademark owner but brought to Russia without permission of the trademark owner. This wording of the law provided ample opportunity for the IP owners, trademark owners in the first place, to claim infringement in courts. The number of court cases grew, but parallel importers did not succumb, all the more that they were supported by the Russian Federal Anti-Monopoly Service. As was mentioned above, administrative cases did not go well with the law. So, the High Commercial Court of Russia issued a judgment in 2009 that explained the difference between administrative and civil law applications regarding parallel import. It ruled that combination of liability measures constitutes an independent and sufficient set of measures for the protection of lawful interests of the right holder due to which, application of measures of public liability, i.e. administrative cases, cannot have as its aim the protection of the rights of the trademark owner only, and shall be directed in the first place at stopping the unlawful behavior menacing the public order and, in particular, prohibition of circulation of counterfeit goods. So, only counterfeit goods could be confiscated and destroyed under the Code of Administrative Offenses, Article 1410. According to the Code of Administrative Offenses, 
that was the end of the prosecution of parallel importers, popular with the trademark owners as a cheap solution to the problem because the plaintiff was the state. Only a civil way of dealing with parallel imports remained. That was more expensive but successful nonetheless. In the meantime, parallel importers did not put down their guns. They fiercely fought against trademark owners in courts. The Russian Federal Anti-Monopoly Service also contributed. It promoted the proposal to allow the parallel import of at least automotive parts, pharmaceutical products and medical equipment, which accounted for a significant amount of the bulk of parallel imports. To make this proposal less painful, it agreed that a parallel import could be forbidden for those goods produced locally in Russia by the trademark owners. In its turn, given that the Ukrainian case law was contradictory as well, the Supreme Commercial Court of Ukraine several years later brought clarity to the regulation of parallel import in its judgment in 2015. The Supreme Commercial Court ruled that it was crucial to determine at what stage the trademark rights become exhausted, after the goods were first placed on the market, in or outside Ukraine, or after they entered the market on the territory of Ukraine. The court indicated that the trademark law did not expressly connect exhaustion of the trademark rights with the entry of the goods on the market within Ukraine. The authorized placement of the trademarked goods on the market could have taken place in another country. The trademark owner could not restrict or prohibit resale in other countries where his rights were also protected, including in Ukraine. This, in the absence of territorial restrictions, should be interpreted as that the laws of Ukraine prescribed international exhaustion of rights. That and another similar judgment rendered in 2016 gave a start to the formation of uniform case law in the Ukrainian court proceedings. This situation became even more clear-cut when amended civil, commercial and administrative procedural codes of Ukraine came into force at the end of 2017. The amended procedural provisions expressly prescribed the court's obligation to follow the legal opinions of the Supreme Court of Ukraine concerning the application or interpretation of relevant legal provisions. Since then, the courts were no longer free to deliver controversial judgments based on the mere fact that the law itself remained unclear as to the legality of the parallel importation. In its subsequent judgments, the Supreme Court of Ukraine confirmed that if trademarked goods are first put on the market with the trademark owner's consent, in or outside Ukraine, their subsequent resale no longer requires the trademark owner's consent and cannot be restricted or prohibited if the quality of the goods resold, remains unchanged. Hence, the trademark owner may succeed in litigation against a parallel importer if he can prove that original goods manufactured for other markets do not comply with specifics of the Ukrainian market and sales thereof in Ukraine may result in deterioration of their condition or quality. At the same time, problems remained in the interpretation of customs regulations regarding trademark rights at the border concerning parallel imports. This problem was tackled at the other end, Ukraine steadily moved to integration into the European Union. A member of the WTO and the TRIPS agreement since 2008, Ukraine signed the agreement on association with the European Union back in 2014. The agreement on association came into force in 2017. Although it does not prescribe any mandatory rules in regulation of parallel importation by Ukraine, implementation of its provisions in the national laws and case law shall result in gradual convergence of the IP laws of Ukraine with the EU legislation. To harmonize the customs laws of Ukraine with the EU laws, Ukrainian legislators adopted the law on amendments to the Customs Code of Ukraine as regards the protection of intellectual property rights in the course of movement of the goods across the customs border of Ukraine. This happened in 2019 and put an end to any different interpretation of the law.
According to the amended Customs Code of Ukraine, trademark enforcement measures at the customs border shall not apply in respect of the original goods, i.e. goods manufactured with the right holder's consent or goods manufactured upon his authorization. This became a step in implementing Regulation No. 608-2013 the European Parliament and of the Council of 12 June 2013 concerning customs enforcement of intellectual property rights by Ukraine. The result is that parallel import in Ukraine is allowed with several exceptions outlined above. Russia followed approximately the same route but in its own way. One of the parallel importers was sued by the trademark owner and lost the case in the courts of first instance, appeal and cassation instances. Notwithstanding, he went to the constitutional court claiming that provisions of the civil code are not consistent with the constitutional principles. The constitutional court issued a very balanced judgment in 2018. It admitted that there might be unfair behavior of the trademark owner, in that he may set higher prices than those in other countries. There may also be higher prices than necessary for satisfying the economic interest of the IP owner. The court stated that such actions may concern medicines in the first place. It proceeded to note that sales of counterfeit goods and parallel goods create different consequences for the end user. Hence, there should be different regulations for both categories of goods. Counterfeit goods entail damage in money and reputation for IP owners, so counterfeit goods should be destroyed. As for parallel goods, these should be destroyed only if they present risks for the life and health of people. What should be the fate of parallel goods if they do not present risks for health? The court did not elaborate and sent the case down to the first instance court. The first instance court ruled to destroy the goods because of expiration of shelf life. At the same time, the court observed in response to the importer's statement that the fact per se of suing the importer cannot be regarded as unfair behavior of the trademark owner. It is also worth noting that automotive spare parts were also destroyed in yet another case because the parallel importer could not provide a safety certificate. As for other instances in which there are no risks for people's health, the only outcome of such import seems to be re-export of the goods. Russia is a member of the Eurasian Economic Union, EAEU which professes regional exhaustion of rights. So the outright proclamation of international exhaustion could not be made because regional exhaustion of rights exists in EU. Change of that regime would necessitate changing international commitments of Russia, which seems next to impossible. As can be seen, Russia and Ukraine, beginning from a confused approach to parallel import in both countries, went different ways in handling the parallel import problem. However, Many years of judicial practice led to approximately the same result. Parallel import is allowed in Ukraine with some restrictions. In Russia, there are more restrictions for parallel importers, as shown above. However, if quality, prices, and other characteristics of the goods comply with the trademark owner's general market policy, parallel goods may be allowed. Page 14. Advertisement. The Global IP Matrix Magazine. IP News Direct from Industry Thought Leaders. Contact us today to share your industry news stories. Email info at gipmatrix.com or call us on plus 44-0203-813-0457. Trademarks, patents, copyright, trade secrets, brand protection plus much more. Page 15. Article. The bigger, the better. Comes with a proviso. Written by Samad Hassan Manto, Managing Partner at Ordiri Vox, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Samad started his legal career in 1998 as a law student and was admitted to the bar in 2000. 
With over two decades of experience in the Middle East, currently, he is the managing partner at Ordiri Vox. He also acts as the global portfolio manager for several Middle Eastern companies. Samad was instrumental in setting up an ISP in North Africa and was part of one of the biggest seizures of counterfeit medicines in the Middle East. He has successfully overseen the prosecution of almost 30,000 trademark and patent applications in almost 180 jurisdictions worldwide. He actively advises numerous blue-chip companies on contentious and non-contentious issues. Now, this may sound a little depraved, but I couldn't find a better subject line to explain this. So, my apologies in advance. You may be wondering about the proviso, so here it goes. Only if you keep using it. Yes, a more extensive trademark portfolio is good only if it is used. Use is a controversy that may take a few more years to be resolved. Still, I am confident that with constant changes in the global economic climate, the definition of trademark use will, sooner or later, be redefined. The trademark laws of most, readers almost all, countries provide a use period that, if not complied with, renders a trademark registration prone to cancellation on the grounds of non-use. And why not? We should adhere to antitrust laws, discourage monopolies, and provide an open playing ground in the marketplace. Well, is that actually true? And whether non-use cancellation results in achieving the later objectives? Is once again a myth. The consequences in many cases, of which professionals and brand owners are well aware of, are legalized infringement, dilution, and deception of consumers, at least where the trademark is known, well-known, globally well-known marks. Let's take an example of a globally well-known mark, say Monopoly. In addition to its core goods, Hasbro uses its mark on several promotional items, including clothing and hence requires protection of their mark in Class 25. That said, they may not be using the trademark in relation to clothing around the world. So, let's assume the mark is not used in the UAE for a continuous period of five years in relation to the claimed goods in Class 25. The law stipulates that any third party can request cancellation of the trademark on the grounds of non-use. The burden of establishing use would be on the brand owner. In the absence of serious use, Hasbro would not have supporting grounds, such as trade embargoes or other restrictions detrimental to their use of the mark in the UAE. Therefore, the cancellation will be evident. Once cancelled through a court order upon request of an interested third party, that party may obtain registration of the mark based on the court decision. Even if registration is not granted due to Monopoly being a globally well-known mark, the adverse party would be able to commence with the use of the mark until Hasbro obtains a restraining order from the court on the grounds of unfair competition or passing off, which shall be a tedious and expensive process. The result would be an infringement of a well-known mark under legal protection dilution of a famous mark and deception of innocent consumers who will purchase counterfeits believing that they originate from Hasbro. Regional well-known marks. The troubles for such marks, famous in certain jurisdictions but not globally, are much higher than a globally well-known mark. After their mark is cancelled on the grounds of non-use, the brand owner will have to establish the well-known status of their mark in order to prevail in an opposition proceeding. If the well-known status is not established, the opposition is likely to be rejected, and the adverse party may succeed in obtaining registration, resulting in infringement under legal cover. Unless the brand owner has an efficient policing program in place, counterfeits may seep into the market unchecked. Marks which are not well known. Marks that are not famous either internationally or regionally, unfortunately, have no case. 
the registration shall be cancelled, and the adverse party will most likely get to register or use the mark without interruption. Usually, such cancellations are obtained by infringers to legally produce goods in a certain jurisdiction and thereafter export them to countries where the mark is in demand. Evergreening Many companies use the evergreening tactic to maintain their rights in the absence of use. This is getting harder, particularly in the light of recent court decisions, including the decision issued by the EU General Court in the Hasbro matter, Portfolio Management. In most cases, defensive registrations are obtained to protect the trademark from dilution, in pursuance of future expansion plans, to capitalize on the goodwill created through huge investments and to stop infringement. That said, such grounds usually do not stand the test of use and bad faith. In order to maintain larger portfolios and defensive registrations, effective portfolio management plays a vital role. New strategies, out-of-the-box thinking, and closely monitoring use deadlines is required by brand owners and their portfolio managers to keep the ball rolling and in the right direction. Definition of Use During the past two years, the world has witnessed a considerable increase in online shopping. According to estimates, global online sales are up by around 40%. This calls for a review of trademark laws around the world and redefining the definition of use to include online presence, availability and sales. Page 17. Advertisement. AV, or Dear Evox. Or Dear Evox. Intellectual Property Rights Management and Protection. Middle East, Asia and Africa. Email, global at ordearevox.com, website, www.ordearevox.com. Page 18. Advertisement. I, IPLA, 2021, USA, Las Vegas. Discover new opportunities with I, IPLA. Thursday, November 4, 2021, to Friday, November 5, 2021. Venue, M, Resort Spa and Casino, Las Vegas, USA. Website, events.iipla.org. Page 19. Article. Intellectual Property, Cybersecurity and Malicious Domain Names, How to Combine It. Three answers to help you safely manage your intellectual property assets and domain names. Written by Natalie Dreyfus, founder and managing partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France, French, and European trademark attorney, appointed expert at the Paris Court of Appeal the WIPO Arbitration and Mediation Center, and the National Arbitration Forum, NAF. Cybersecurity risk is a risk that companies are learning to deal with, but with COVID and the democratization of telecommuting, cyber risk has intensified. Intellectual property and cybersecurity are linked by their common goal of protecting the interests of a company, but intellectual property is still an underrated risk when it comes to cybersecurity. This should not be neglected because a flaw in the cybersecurity system can have significant consequences on a company's activity. This risk can be illustrated by the famous example of the leak of the complete script of the last episode of Game of Thrones, a series followed by millions of viewers. This leak was the result of hacking of the HBO platform's servers. In a more generalized way, we can highlight the following risks, loss of intellectual property assets, leakage of development strategy and internal protection to competitors, theft of sensitive data, and loss of competitive advantage. It is, therefore, crucial to know how to minimize the risks related to intellectual property assets. Cybersecurity and risk, how to better analyze the cybersecurity risk. With telecommuting, 
companies have opened doors for hackers who have at least as many ways of entry into a company as there are employees. The extension of telecommuting has also made the first precautions taken by employees disappear. This relaxation is not without consequences, as it can have real long-term effects for companies. From February to March 2020, Interpol reported a 569% growth in malware and phishing activities. It is therefore imperative to better analyze the cybersecurity risk. For this, different methods exist. The ONSI, the French Information System Security Agency, has set up an efficient analysis method, the ABIOS method. This acronym stands for Expression of Needs and Identification of Security Objectives. This method directs a user to conduct an assessment in five identifiable steps. The first is a study of the company's context, which identifies activities and in which context the risk may arise. The second step consists of studying the events feared by the company. This is where the risk related to the loss of an intellectual property asset or the risks associated with the use of fraudulent domain names by third parties must be included. Next comes the step of developing possible threat scenarios, which leaves room for a more global view of the form an attack could take. The penultimate step consists of studying the past, present and future risks of the company. The final step is the study of the security measures already taken and those to be taken, which will correspond to the needs of the company. Applied by a professional in information system security, this method allows for building a personalized action plan for the company, which can then continue its activity smoothly while being sufficiently protected. As a consequence, companies must personalize their risk mapping step by step. Cybersecurity and intellectual property What are the types of attacks and the consequences for intellectual property assets? There are many types of attack and it is important to distinguish between two categories of attack, internal and external. i. Internal attacks. Internal attacks are more numerous than one might think. They can come from business partners who have access to data, but also, and often, from current employees of the company. Sometimes, outgoing employees transfer sensitive data to themselves, while others install spyware that will collect information. In the case of an intellectual property asset, this software is dreadful because it could, in the hands of a competitor, reverse the competitive advantage you had over them. Therefore, they could register a patent that took you years to develop or launch a product on the market before you. But these threats can take many forms and are increasingly sophisticated, so they are difficult to detect. These internal leaks have three main objectives. Direct unfair competition. This is when the employee transfers data to himself in order to develop a business that is in competition with the company. Indirect unfair competition, when an employee uses sensitive information to gain employment with a rival company. Financial. This is the case of the former Tesla Group employee who transferred information to his Dropbox account in order to share it with a journalist to obtain money. Internal attacks can also result from internal actions, which will open the door to external attacks the employee's lack of diligence or human error. According to Ponemon's 2020 Cost of Insider Threats Global Report, 62% of cybersecurity incidents are caused by a negligent employee or contractor. 2. External attacks. Here again, attacks take different forms. They can be classic hacking or phishing, or sometimes ransomware. This last attack technique can have a significant cost for the company as it will encrypt data that can only be decrypted after a sum of money has been paid to the author of the attack. Alas, these attacks are becoming more and more sophisticated. The difficulty with attacks, whether internal or external, 
is the length of time before detection. Cyber theft can sometimes take years to be detected and treated. This is why it is crucial to anticipate the risks today. Cybersecurity and Risk Anticipation How do you protect your intellectual property assets from malicious domain name attacks? There are several ways to anticipate risks, including monitoring, compliance, and good practice. I. Monitoring, an indispensable tool. Intellectual property assets or domain names, by extension, can be legally protected either from the moment of their creation or by registration. In either case, the company should not limit itself to this protection. It is essential to protect the company's assets during their lifetime. Monitoring is one way to achieve this. However, while companies increasingly understand the value of legally protecting their assets, monitoring is far from systematic. With the democratization of AI, such monitoring is often done by a computer, or the computer does the initial screening of the media being monitored. The monitoring usually watches the official bulletin in order to look out for newly registered trademarks. But, in the era of digitalization, this monitoring also covers social networks, domain name reservations, advertising or content sharing platforms such as YouTube. Searches can be identical, in which case the operator behind the watch will only analyze names similar to the trademark that is registered or a reserved domain name. But, and this is important for preventing risks, the watch should also be used to search for similar signs, which could lead to confusion among consumers. This surveillance has a fundamental purpose, to act quickly in order to protect the company's assets as effectively as possible. 2. Compliance Compliance has become a source of protection for the company as a snowball effect, with numerous bodies of rules appearing in recent years. Although the objective of these rules is to protect citizens, being in compliance with the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, rules helps reduce cyber risk. GDPR had the effect of organizing data more efficiently, which resulted in better visibility of the data and any inherent security breach. Companies, therefore, learned how to improve risk mapping and make better use of encryption. 3. Good Practice Faced with all these risks, the most powerful weapon is good practice. It can be divided into several main areas, including employee training, restricting access, entering into non-disclosure agreements, and setting up systems to track the actions of employees. As already mentioned, sensitive data leakage often comes from employees. It is therefore important to anticipate the risks by, for example, asking them to sign an IT charter as part of their training. This charter, periodically reviewed, would help train employees to understand the cyber risks linked to the bad use of their work tools. These work tools must be configured by the company. It is imperative, in order to limit risk, to prioritize access to sensitive data. Even better is to fragment the information. This way, even if the malicious employees find themselves in possession of sensitive documents, they will only have partial access. On the other hand, if it is impossible to split the information, limiting access will make it easier to find the person who committed any malicious act as only a limited amount of people would have access to that information. In addition to these technical aspects, it is also useful to ask employees to sign non-disclosure agreements that reinforce their obligation by providing a tighter legal framework. Finally, when the data is highly sensitive, it may be appropriate to have a system in place to keep track of who requested access to the information, when they requested it, and what they requested. This will facilitate investigation in the event of a leak of information. In conclusion, 
the cyber risk related to intellectual property and domain names should not be taken lightly. It is important, in order to ensure the security and protection of IP, to have a dissuasive and effective cybersecurity arsenal. Page 22. Advertisement. Founded in 2004, Dreyfus is a boutique law firm focusing on intellectual property and digital law. We have forged a unique market position based on both our thorough knowledge of IP legal issues and our proven expertise in the digital economy and innovative technology sectors. Aware of the necessity to incorporate the economic, social and environmental concerns of our society, we have adopted a CSR approach that reflects the company's values and which we promote internally. The digital age raises many challenges and opportunities. Dreyfus advises and supports you. In order to meet your national and international needs, Dreyfus has created a practice that combines intellectual property law and new technology law. By combining our knowledge of the digital world and the new technology sector, we provide companies with a dual approach to protect and enhance traditional and digital intellectual assets. Contact us. 78 Avenue Raymond Poincaré, 75116, Paris, France. Email, contact at dreyfus.fr. Telephone, plus double three, double one four, seven double zero seven zero four. Page 23. Article. What is worth copying is worth protecting, protection of unregistered marks in Sri Lanka. Written by Sabira Sheriff, associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Introduction. Developed or not, people across the globe often resort to gain an unfair advantage over others in an attempt to fast-track their businesses to cope with the competitiveness of today's world. In this context, trademarks play a pivotal role and are considered to be an asset of a business body. In Sri Lanka, the Intellectual Property Act, No. 36 of 2003, IP Act, is the primary legislation governing trademarks. Sri Lanka is also a signatory to the Paris Convention and the TRIPS Agreement. Registration grants the owner of the mark exclusive rights to use the mark and prevent any unauthorized use thereof. However, the IP Act has made provision for the protection of an unregistered mark in Sri Lanka under Part 7 and Chapter 32 under unfair competition. Unfair competition. Historical background. Unfair competition. You see, occurs when a party uses wrong or deceptive business practices to gain a competitive advantage. The underpinning idea of UC law is to prevent someone from reaping where he is not sown, as Lord Justice Peterson stated in University of London Press Limited versus University Tutorial Press Limited what is worth copying is worth protecting. The protection against UC first received international recognition under the Paris Convention in 1900. The concept of UC was also embodied in the Code of Intellectual Property Act No. 52 of 1979. Current Law According to Section 160, 1, of the IP Act, any act carried out in the course of industrial or commercial activities that are contrary to honest practices is defined to constitute an act of UC. While establishing a general principle governing the constitution of the acts of UC, the IP Act has also identified certain acts which could be categorized as acts of UC. One they do not constitute an exhaustive list of acts of UC, and these specified acts cover a variety of activities in relation to industry and commerce. In this background, marks are well defined to be protected irrespective of them being registered or not. Two, the use of a well-known mark, registered or unregistered by a third party without the consent or authorization of its owner, results in confusion as to the source of the goods or services concerned. 
Hence, the unregistered well-known marks are a clear beneficiary of these provisions.3. Also, the principle of dilution of marks has entered the legal system, and the IP Act defines dilution of goodwill or reputation to mean the lessening of the distinctive character or advertising value of a mark. Therefore the dilution could occur in relation to a well-known mark where a sign identical or similar to it is used for goods or services that are not similar to those for which it is well-known, and the fact that the well-known mark is registered or not is immaterial. 4. Hence, not having registration in Sri Lanka does not weaken the protection attributed to an unregistered mark in view of the overall goodwill or reputation of the mark. Enforcement a civil action instituted in the Commercial High Court of Colombo Court may grant an injunction restraining commencing or continuing or performing such acts along with an award of damages suffered as a result of such act. 5. Action of passing off under the common law. This restrains a trader from passing off his goods as those of another trader and is particularly useful in protecting and enforcing the rights of the owners of unregistered marks. Conclusion the objective of law on UC is to ensure that competition is fair. While registered marks can receive the same protection under the provisions of UC independently of the law relating to the registered marks, unregistered marks may receive protection under the provisions of UC alone, given the well-known factor and goodwill or reputation of such marks. Page 25. Article. Potential pitfalls and threats against the resolution of IP matters at the trademarks registry through ADR. Written by Ifeonyi Emmanuel Okonkwo, associate at Stillwater's law firm, Nigeria. The concept. There were times in the past when physical combat was used to resolve issues. When men grew weaker or perhaps wiser, they resorted to sword fights, then long-distance weaponry, and now they advocate talk. Interesting times it is indeed, and what an age for eloquence, oratory advocacy and above all, the cunning intelligence of a veiled usurpation. If I threw the question, to what extent is ADR recognized and encouraged under the present TM Act in Nigeria? Most will say that it is non-existent. Alas, that is far from the truth. While I have failed to see any enabling provisions under the Patents and Designs Act, I dare say without a modicum of doubt that Section 13, 3, of the Trademarks Act, Cap T13 LFN 2004, has a more than subtle reference to ADR. Section 13, 3, provides thus. Where separate applications are made by different persons to be registered in respect of the same goods or description of goods as proprietors respectively of a trademark that are identical or nearly resembling each other, the registrar may refuse to register any of them until their rights have been determined by the court or have been settled by agreement in a manner approved by the registrar, or by the court on an appeal from the registrar. The reasons behind the championing of the introduction of ADR to IP matters at the desk of the Trademarks Registry is for a quicker dispensation of IP matters, cost minimization, safeguarding business relationships, more job opportunities for legal practitioners, choice of place, law, and arbitrator-slash-mediator, etc. The IP matters. It is to be noted that IP matters that may fall under the purview of Trademarks Registry are with regards to Application for registration of brand-slash-trademarks. Refusal-slash-acceptance proceedings. Opposition proceedings. Application for certificate. Transmission proceedings. Removal-slash-cancellation proceedings. Appeal proceedings. Of the enumerated matters, those of which ADR may apply to R-. 
refusal proceedings, where the registrar has refused a mark by reason of the same mark being confusingly similar or identical to another's mark. In such a scenario, the applicant may write to the other party who may be its distributor in the said country or not. Upon agreement, the terms could be submitted to the registrar and the refusal upturned and acceptance given based on the agreement reached. Opposition proceedings This is the common scenario where party is pending adoption of final address, presence to the trademark tribunal, the agreement reached and ruling is given based on it. Sometimes, the opposition is withdrawn. Transmission proceedings this occurs where there was a sequel agreement by proprietors and distributors slash agents or in the event of merger slash acquisitions that upon registration or upon a designated time, certificate slash registration obtained shall be transferred. Removal slash cancellation proceedings, this applies where registration has been wrongly slash illegally made. The Trademarks Act requires service of the other party and a repeat of opposition proceedings except there has been a court order thereto. At such times, parties may decide to reach an agreement and present the same to the registrar. The law. Indeed, IP matters are civil in nature, and ordinarily, civil matters rightly fall under the jurisdiction of ADR, except for criminal matters inherent in them, of course. Moreso, the Trademarks Act did not expressly prohibit ADR mechanisms to IP matters at the desk of the Trademarks Registry. Having reminded ourselves of the above position, it becomes cogent to review the Trademarks Act and see whether the application of ADR to IP matters at the Trademark Registry will provoke any hardship or inconsistency. In other words, are there any pitfalls or potential threats that may arise from the application of ADR mechanisms to IP matters at the Registry, considering the Trademarks Act? Pitfalls and Threats Choice of Law in arbitration-slash-conciliation proceedings, sometimes even in mediation, parties always have a choice of which law they would want to apply. Where parties are from different nationalities and want the rules of a convention that have not been domesticated in Nigeria to apply, that may go contrary to the Constitution and the Trademarks Act and a plethora of court decisions that show that trademark is territorial in nature. All parties, foreign or local, must necessarily be restricted by the Trademarks Act of Nigeria except the same is reviewed. And if so restricted, then the following issues arise. The criteria of an agreement. ADR processes usually emanate from an agreement. Although, parties while in court slash tribunal may decide to visit slash do ADR. The emphasis here is that in trademark actions, parties often do not know the other party until opposition proceedings begin. Thus, the idea of reaching an initial agreement is not possible. And in practice, it is difficult to get parties already in court-slash-tribunal to settle. Discretion of the Trademark Registrar It is important to note that notwithstanding the agreement of parties in an ADR process, the Trademark Registrar is given wide discretionary powers by the Act. For instance, in a refusal proceeding, where the Registrar makes an initial, not permanent, refusal of a mark because it is not distinguishable and conflicts with another mark, while an applicant may approach the other party to allow an agreement, the registrar is still not bound by whatever mediation or arbitration award that is reached if it still considers that the mark is not distinguishable. The registrar may then make a final refusal, and the only available remedy to the applicant is an appeal. Parties' agreement or arbitral awards cannot operate to override the registrar's discretionary powers and the only platform for determining whether or not the registrar has exercised its administrative powers judicially and judiciously is the appellate court. Choice of arbitrator slash mediator and dispute. 
What possible issues would an arbitrator-slash-mediator be called upon to resolve in an IP matter before the trademark registry? One wonders. This is because, in an opposition proceeding, all issues raised in pleadings, grounds of opposition-slash-counterstatement and statutory declarations, are matters falling under the jurisdiction of the registrar-slash-tribunal to determine. When we consider that the Act did not constitute an ADR panel aside from the registrar-slash-tribunal, it becomes difficult to see whether any choice of arbitrator-slash-mediator can be made and whether these issues can be presented to them. Jurisdiction of the Trademark Registrar, Administrative-slash-Judicial The Act has given the Registrar of Trademarks administrative and judicial powers, i.e. check and registrar applications, decide on oppositions and make orders even as to cost. It appears the Act is exhaustive. Therefore, any form of ADR process would have to come from the Trademark Registrar's office itself. The Fixation of Time Usually, in the ADR process, time could be fixed by parties for doing an act or refraining from an act. Unfortunately, the time stipulated by the act itself cannot be varied. Indeed, the regulations also forbid the registrar from exercising its discretion on time limits stipulated by the act. The courts also have affirmed this, especially in opposition proceedings. Thus, the process of ADR will be made stringent and its aim to be time-effective will be lost since certain time stipulated by the Act cannot be overridden. The problem of cost. One thing trademark practitioners all agree on is that cost is cheap in trademark proceedings. To further introduce an ADR mechanism where arbitrators-slash-mediators and their clerks and the attorneys will additionally be paid is definitely cost-ineffective. Clients always do not want to spend money, especially to courts-slash-lawyers, the competitive nature of parties and likely award. It is also doubtful that parties who never knew each other and are looking for taking over the market with their brand would want to settle. One thing is sure, a famous proprietor will never want to settle outside the process, especially in opposition proceedings. There is a huge confidence that it is known, and all infringers must be wiped out. The finality of awards. The strongest teeth of ADR or at least arbitration slash conciliation is the finality of its award. Unfortunately, the awards reached in ADR cannot be forced or implemented on the trademark registrar, except the act is amended. Where there is no finality, why apply that road only to come back to the same sport? Page 28. Advertisement. Advert. Stillwater's law firm. People, integrity, service. Nigeria, Angola, OAPI. Protecting ideas in Africa. Services. Intellectual property, media, entertainment, technology, sports and litigation. Second floor 2 Awolawo Road, Ikoi, Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos, P.O. Box 56161, Ikoi 101-008, Lagos, Nigeria. Telephone, plus 234-0145-471-79, plus 234-0817. 2008-64-234-0906-00-5769 Email, info at stillwaterslaw.com or admin at stillwaterslaw.com www.stillwaterslaw.com Page 29. Article. Judicial Application of Punitive Damages in China. Written by Ray Zhao, LLM, Senior Partner. Head of the International Trademark Team, Attorney at Law and Trademark Attorney at Unitalian Attorneys at Law, Patent Trademark and Copyright.
Bio. Razor joined Unitalon in 2002 and engaged in confirmation, authorization, and rights protection of IP rights. He has handled a series of cases related to IP right confirmation and IP infringement of many multinational companies, like Dr. Martins, McCain, and China Mobile. Ray Zhao is especially experienced in trademark, copyright, unfair competition, trade secrets and other IP litigation and non-litigation legal matters. He has been awarded the Outstanding Individual Lawyer in China by WTR for many years for his outstanding performance in solving complex, difficult and non-litigation IP cases. Article 1185 of China's Civil Code stipulates, where the intellectual property rights of others are intentionally infringed upon, and the circumstances are serious, the infringed party has the right to request punitive damages. China added punitive damages clauses in the trademark law amended in 2013 and added punitive damages clauses in the intellectual property laws amended later, such as anti-unfair competition law, patent law, and copyright law. On March 3, 2021, the Supreme People's Court issued the interpretation on the application of punitive damages in the civil cases involving intellectual property infringement. The interpretation makes specific provisions on the application scope of punitive damages in civil cases of intellectual property rights, factors to meet and standard. On March 15, in order to accurately understand and apply the interpretation and ensure the correct implementation of the punitive damages system, the Supreme People's Court issued the typical cases of punitive damages in civil cases of intellectual property infringement. The new laws and judicial interpretation further clarified the applicable rules of punitive damages in judicial practice, demonstrating China's determination to strengthen judicial protection of intellectual property rights. The Applicable Scope of Punitive Damages Scope of application of punitive damages in intellectual property not only includes trademarks, patents, copyright and other traditional types of intellectual property rights, it also includes the relevant rights under the anti-unfair competition law. It means for fake, false advertising, commercial defamation acts of unfair competition, punitive damages could be applied as well. The procedural elements of punitive damages the interpretation clearly stipulates that punitive damages should be claimed by the plaintiff. The number of damages, the method of calculation and the facts and reasons based on it should be made clear. It can be seen that the application of punitive damages, which is subject to the principle of no lawsuit without complaint, must be proposed by the plaintiff, the court cannot take the initiative to apply. At the same time, the plaintiff shall not simply put forward the conceptual claim of punitive damages to the court but must put forward a clear and specific calculation method and basis for punitive damages. The court cannot apply punitive damages if the plaintiff does not specify the method and basis for the calculation. The plaintiff's claim for punitive damages is not unlimited and must be made before the court debate stage in the first instance. If a punitive damage claim is filed after the court debate stage, the court will not consider it at all. Where a claim for punitive damages is added in the second instance, the plaintiff and defendant may settle the claim through mediation. If mediation fails, a separate lawsuit shall be initiated for punitive damages. The substantive elements of punitive damages. Element 1. Willful. The interpretation makes it clear that willful is the subjective element of punitive damages. Factors to be considered for willful include product reputation, the relationship between the defendant and plaintiff, interested parties, etc. For instance, the following five circumstances could be identified as willful. 1. 
Defendant continues to commit the infringing act after being notified or warned by the plaintiff or an interested party. 2. Defendant or its legal representative or administrator is the legal representative, administrator or actual controller of the plaintiff or interested party. 3. Defendant and the plaintiff or interested parties of labor, labor services, cooperation, licensing, distribution, agency, or representative relationships and have had contact with the infringed intellectual property rights. 4. Defendant and the plaintiff or interested parties have business contacts or have negotiated for the purpose of concluding contracts and have had contact with the infringed intellectual property rights. 5. Defendant commits acts of piracy or counterfeiting a registered trademark. At the same time, paragraph 6 provides for the other circumstances which may be deemed to be intentional backstop clause. In judicial practice, other circumstances that can be identified as willful usually include grabbing the reputation of the plaintiff's well-known trademark and registering the plaintiff's well-known trademark. The defendant uses the plaintiff's well-known trademark on the same or similar goods. The defendant does not regulate the use of its registered trademark close to the plaintiff's registered trademark. Using another person's registered trademark as a shop name in an enterprise name and using it within the same or similar business scope. The application for trademark registration was rejected for being similar to the prior trademark of the plaintiff. In addition, it shall also include the circumstances in which the same or similar infringement acts are committed again after administrative punishment or liability is assumed by the court. Element 2. Serious Circumstances The interpretation makes it clear that serious circumstances are the objective requirements of punitive damages. The first paragraph of Article 4 of the interpretation clearly states that the factors to be considered for serious circumstances include the means and times of infringement, the duration, geographical scope, scale and consequences of the infringement, as well as the acts of the infringer in the proceedings. The second paragraph defines six situations that can be identified as serious by way of enumeration. 1. Committing the same or similar infringing act again after being subjected to administrative punishment or being held responsible by the court. 2. Taking infringement of intellectual property rights as his major business. 3. Forging, destroying or concealing evidence of infringement. 4. Refusal to perform an order of preservation. 5. Profits gained from infringement or huge losses suffered by the right holder. 6. The infringing act may endanger state security, public interests, or personal health. At the same time, Article 7 provides for the other circumstances which may be deemed to be serious backstop clause. In judicial practice, other circumstances that can be identified as serious usually include the long duration of the action being sued, a wide range of areas involved, and serious damage to the commodity reputation or business reputation of the right holder. Page 31 Advertisements. Advert 1. Unitalian Attorneys at Law. A leading IP law firm in China. Offices in 20 commercial cities in China, and also in the US, Japan and Germany. Handling over 400 IP litigations each year. 236 patent attorneys, 66 trademark attorneys, and 71 attorneys at law. Ranking first in the top 10 patent agencies in Beijing with the most patent applications. Ranking first on the list of agencies for many years in trademark applications. Address Beijing, 7th floor, Cytec Place, number 22 Jiangaminwai Avenue, Beijing, 10004, China. 
telephone, plus 86-10-59-20-8888. Fax, plus 86-10-59-20-8588. Email. Mail at unitalan.com. Website. www.unitalan.com. Advert 2. Deep and Far Attorneys at Law, Since 1992. IP Right Prosecution and Litigation Corporate Legal and Consulting IP Value Added Services Focus, Patents, Trademarks, Copyrights, Trade Secrets, Unfair Competition Licensing, Counseling, Litigation, Transaction Territories, Taiwan, Maine and China, Hong Kong, and Macau Fields, Mechanics, Chemistry, Pharmacy, Biology, Electronics, Optics, Telecommunications, and Computer Sciences Address, 13th Floor, 27, Sec. 3, Chung San N Road, Taipei, Taiwan. Telephone, plus 886-225-856-688. Fax, plus 886-225-989-900 or 25978 989 Email, email at dpenfire.com.tw. Website www.deepenfire.com.tw Advert 3 Bename.net Protect your IP online Domain name specialist since 1999 Every possible extension Interesting reseller conditions Excellent support Telephone, plus double four, two zero three, three nine three, four eight five four. Email, info at bname.net Page 32 Advert. I, IPLA, 2022, Dubai. Book your seat today. January the 17th to the 18th, 2022. Venue, Sheraton Dubai Creek and Towers. Website, events.iipla.org. Page 33, Conference Corner, The Voices of the Associations. This segment is for the IP event organizations and associations that we have media partnerships with worldwide. We are offering them the floor to keep you, our audience, up to date with future events and IP conference trends throughout the year, so you never miss any of these important events and seminars internationally. Dr. Christoph Argenstein, Chair of the Unit Repatent, Unified Patent Court Standing Committee and a member of the Enforcement Standing Committee AIPPI. Maladen Vukmir, ECTA First Vice President, ECTA Program Committee Chair, HR. Diamud Defawite. ARPPI, Communication Manager. The Global IP Matrix Magazine. Official Conference Media Partners. Would you like to become our media partner? Contact, info at gipmatrix.com. Page 34. Article. The 2021 AIPPI, World Congress Online, highlights and a focus on the Unified Patent Court. Written by Diamud Defawite. AIPPI Communication Manager and Dr. Christoph Argenstein, Chair of the Unitary Patent, Unified Patent Court Standing Committee and a member of the Enforcement Standing Committee, AIPPI. This year, the AIPPI World Congress Online takes place from 15 to 22 October, with some side events in the preceding week. While virtual, the event replicates all the elements known to participants of previous in-person congresses such as panel sessions, plenary sessions, Women in, AIPPI and the Young, AIPPI Forum. In addition to this, the online environment provides the opportunity to try out new ideas, 
such as a fun and fresh way to network online. Another innovation this year is the AIPPI cafes, 36 in total. These are small group discussions on a variety of hot topics such as patenting banking, fintech, blockchain and IP to alternative medicine, and data protection rules for pharmaceutical compounds. The 2021 study questions to be discussed in October are Inventiveness and sufficiency of disclosure in AI inventions Registrability of trademarks against public order or morality Industrial designs and the role of prior art Reasonable awareness in compensation for infringement of IP rights A particular highlight of the opening ceremony will be the contribution from the keynote speaker, Mr. Trevor Albrey, Vice President, WW Content Protection and Analytics at Warner Media. Warner Media has, like all companies, faced significant challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. Trevor will give an overview of how Warner Media has adapted and met those challenges during this period, with a focus on the IP aspects and implications inherent in that. This includes the IP issues involved in areas such as changing consumer demands for content, launching new distribution channels, the ongoing threat from online content theft and the debate around the responsibilities of online platforms for illegal content. He will also explore how these areas might evolve in the near future. Panel Sessions This year there will be 13-hour-long panel sessions. Because this is a lot of content, there will be a chance to watch a recording at a later point during the Congress. The sessions will also be available on demand for 30 days after the event. Read on to find out more about a very topical panel session. In May 2021, AP published a position paper on the waiver for certain provisions of the TRIPS Agreement for the Prevention, Containment and Treatment of COVID-19 proposed by some countries within the WTO, jointly prepared by its TRIPS and Pharma Standing Committees. This topic will be further teased out in a panel session titled, Compulsory Licenses and TRIPS Waivers for COVID. The current state of the waiver proposals will be discussed as well as the ramifications of a waiver that extends to trade secret protection. On 21 October 2021, from 1730 to 1830 CEST, Mr. Christoph Argenstein, a partner at Cather Argenstein Rechtsanwalt will moderate panel session 13, an update on the UPC. Speaking at the event will be the chair of the UPC Preparatory Committee, Mr. Alexander Ramsey, discussing the current preparations and other hot topics, such as the consequences of Brexit. There will be room for questions as well. This session will be taped, and a recording replayed the next day, the 22nd of October 2021, from 10.30 to 11.30 CEST on the AP World Congress online platform. To help set the scene for this session, Mr. Argenstein has summarized the state of play with the UPC. C-Box. There's life in the old dog yet, the unified patent court is finally about to start, written by Christoph Argenstein. Eagerly awaited, written off, not abandoned, declared a failure. The roller coaster ride of the unified patent court turns onto the home stretch and is about to come to a happy end, or start. The German Constitutional Court has cleared the way for the UPC only the London section of the Central Division needs to be relocated. The efforts to create a European Patent Court reach back to the 20th century. When the Unified Patent Court Agreement, UPCA, was ready for signature in 2013, many thought these efforts were successful. Eight years later, we are still waiting for the Unified Patent Court, UPC, to start. The wait will likely be over soon.
The German Constitutional Court dismissed provisional decisions on the constitutional complaints against the ratification of the UPCA following this dismissal. The German federal president signed the implementation bill on 12 August 2021 to complete the implementation into German law. Now there is only one step left to take, which is for Germany to deposit the ratification instrument. The UPCA will then enter into force the first day of the fourth month after the deposit. Before that, a preparatory phase will be implemented to ensure a smooth transition to the operational phase. In this provisional application phase, PAP, a budget becomes available, the recruitment of judges can start, and other institutional, organizational, and financial provisions of the UPCA become applicable. For the PAP to start, it is necessary that two other contracting member states besides Germany sign the protocol on the provisional application of the UPCA, the PAP protocol. It is expected that Austria will accept the PAP protocol in September, which means that only one member state is missing. The Preparatory Committee expects these ratifications will be completed during autumn of this year, which means the PAP could start in a timely manner. According to the Preparatory Committee, the preparations will take about eight months. As soon as the preparatory work has progressed sufficiently and the participating member states are confident that the UPC can start in an orderly manner, Germany will deposit the instrument of ratification of the UPCA, which will trigger the entering into force of the UPCA. The Preparatory Committee estimates the start of the UPC for mid-2022. We will see if the Preparatory Committee was too optimistic, given the workload involved in preparing the various divisions to accept the first cases. For example, judges must be recruited, the IT systems must work, and further infrastructure must be available. Still, there is one hurdle left to overcome. Due to Brexit, it is unclear how to deal with the seat of the Central Division in London. The problem is that London is explicitly mentioned in Art. 7. 2. UPCA as one location of the Central Division. The German government suggested relocating the jurisdiction of the London seat, at least, to the, continuing, seats of the Central Division in Paris and Munich. As a reaction, in an official press release, the Italian government proposed Milan as the location for the London seat. The European Parliament considers that in order to relocate the London seat, the UPCA needs to be adapted with the consent of all contracting member states. This would surely be the option creating the highest level of legal certainty, as the contracting member states would certainly have the power to amend the text of the UPCA however, the consent on a new agreement would take several years, as the ratification process for the UPCA has already shown. The Preparatory Committee supports the German proposal in order not to delay the start of the UPCA. It has to be noted that the majority of all cases will be dealt with at local and regional divisions. These decisions and their enforceability would not be affected by art. 7. 2. As their legitimacy does not depend on the location of the central division. Thus, there is likely little room for defendants that this provision would be relevant for their case. I think the UPCO will come into force in the near future despite the remaining open question on how to deal with the London seat of the central division. There is a solution on the way, and the contracting member states will, in my opinion, at least start the new system despite some uncertainties. I also think that stakeholders will accept the new system, for even without the UK, the UPC will have jurisdiction for a market with more than 350 million consumers. International corporations will therefore have a new and interesting platform to resolve international patent disputes. Young AP Forum
The Resilient Professional is an interactive virtual seminar that will address some of the challenges young AP members face when balancing the demands and expectations of their work environments with their own circumstances and personal aspirations. Set against the background of the pandemic and the so-called new normal, the session will offer participants practical tools to address these challenges and enhance their resilience when undertaking this balancing act. As with previous YAF sessions, participants will also have an invaluable chance to meet other young members and make new connections through the networking opportunity of facilitated smaller group activities and discussions during the seminar. Special offer for young IP professionals. This year, each registered participant can bring a colleague from the same organization who is 36 years old or younger as a special guest to join the Young AIPPI Forum on October 12, 2021, for free. To take advantage of this, please contact us at registration at AIPPI.org. Women in AIPPI This year's speaker is Una McCarthy Fockery, a chemist, patent examiner, and now a devoted leader in designing and delivering activities to inspire Cambodia's youth, particularly girls, to follow a career in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, STEM. Una will take you through some of her projects, such as STEM Sisters Cambodia, a mentoring program addressing women empowerment, STEM education and the promotion of STEM careers for all. Participants will meet and interact with other members during the networking breakout sessions. Don't delay, register today at www.aippicongress.org. Page 37. Advertisement. 2021 AIPPI World Congress Online October 15 to the 22nd, 202. Here are just some of the highlights. 13-hour-long panel sessions, 36 different AIPPI cafes, a place to discuss hot topics in IP with your peers, hear speakers from the world's leading IP bodies, special sessions like the Young AIPPI Forum, and much much more. 2021 Study Questions Registrability of Trademarks Against Public Order or Morality Reasonable Awareness in Compensation for Infringement of IP Rights Industrial Designs and the Role of Prior Art Inventiveness and Sufficiency of Disclosure in AI Inventions About AIPPI The International Association for the Protection of Intellectual Property, known as AIPPI, Association Internationale pour la Protection de la Propriété Intellectuelle, is the world's leading non-profit association dedicated to the development and improvement of laws for the protection of intellectual property. It is a politically neutral, non-profit organization, based in Switzerland with over 8,000 members worldwide from 131 countries. Sponsorship opportunities are available. www.aippicongress.org Page 38. Article. Waltzing with IP. Ed to 39th Annual Conference in Vienna Goes Hybrid. Written by Maladen Vakmir, Ector First Vice President, Ector Program Committee Chair, HR. Maladen is practicing IP law in Zagreb, Croatia, where he founded Vakmir and Associates Law Firm in 1991. He specializes in IP, information and telecommunications law, licensing, commercial law, litigation, and ADR. Maladen worked for the California-based law firm Fenwick & West, the Italian law firm Pavia Iansoldo and the Unido. He also served as a consultant to the Ministry of Science and Technology of the Croatian Government, the World Bank, the European Commission Cards Programme, and WIPO. He served at the International Chamber of Commerce, ICC, Standing Committee for Expertise. Recently, 
he focused primarily on strategic advising of the expanding Central European businesses, and he is an active mentor on the local startup scene. At the 39th annual conference Waltzing with IP is coming up soon on 21 the 22nd of October 2021 in a hybrid format. This year we have ensured a very engaging program with top guests and speakers such as WIPO Director General Tang. Non-members who register for the on-site event will get the opportunity to join ECTA free of charge for the rest of 2021, while members can participate at a reduced fee. We are happy to invite all IP colleagues to the ECTA 39th Annual Conference Waltzing with IP on 21-22 October, a hybrid event in the magnificent city of Vienna. While a limited group will attend the meeting in person, Strictly complying with all safety measures set by the Austrian health authorities, a virtual conferencing platform will be provided to allow other Ector friends to participate remotely. As we keenly missed holding our conference last year, we have worked even harder to build a captivating conference program to ensure intensive networking and learning opportunities on the latest IP developments. Let me give you a peek. On Wednesday, the 13th of October, we will start by offering two workshops exclusively online as part of the conference package to let our attendees learn more about the next enforcement challenges, useful IT tools and the latest developments in the trademark office's practice. We have composed a distinguished panel of speakers from different countries and backgrounds who will give you a wide overview and deepen your knowledge in such relevant IP aspects. Thursday, the 21st of October will be fully dedicated to ECTA Supervisory Board and Committee meetings. While Supervisory Board will discuss ECTA strategic aspects, committee meetings will be an invaluable chance to network with peers, work on committee projects, and exchange the latest case law, legislative, and policy developments. Besides, this evening, we will enjoy the first taste of local cuisine at the reception in our hotel, The Hilton. Friday, the 22nd of October will be an immersive educational and networking day where recent developments and ambitious plans for the future of IP rights will be unveiled by the most distinguished guests and speakers, such as WIPO Director General Darantang. After a welcome by our Rector President Annette Rasmussen, members of the local organizing committee and myself, we will look closely at the latest IP news and trends, focusing on the IP action plan for the European Commission and news from WIPO and UIPO. We will then proceed with a session dedicated to brand ethics, goodwill and reputation and another one on the conflict of interest. After a lunch break, we will be ready for a lively roundtable on how to acquire clients and network online and a session on wine, marketing, and GIs, discussing the important role GIs play in communicating with consumers. Then, as usual, our Rector President and Professional Affairs Committee Chair will announce the Ecto Award. 2021 competition winners, both in the professional and student category. Last but not least, a familiar closing to the ECTA annual conference, an overview of most recent EU case law developments. After heated discussions, it's time for the gala dinner at the Museum of Applied Arts, MAK, surrounded by music and the warmth of the ECTA family and friends. Hurry up and register today. The remaining on-site places are assigned on a first-come first-served basis. Secure your place fast by registering via the annual conference section of the ECTA website or by sending an email to ECTA at ECTA.org. If you sign up as a non-member to attend the event in person, you will also get the opportunity to join ECTA free of charge for the rest of 2021. If you are a member, you can attend at a reduced fee. We hope to see many friends either on-site in the stunning city of Vienna or online. The health and safety of our conference participants is ECTA's primary concern. 
Therefore, our attendees will be required to strictly comply with all Austrian COVID-19 regulations, Austrian state, federal government or city of Vienna, at the time of registration and at the time of traveling and participating in the event. Participants may be required to prove their COVID eligibility to enter Austria and participate in the event if requested on-site. Page 40. Advertisement. Ector, Vienna, 21-22 of October 2021. 39th Annual Conference. A warm welcome to Vienna, the city of music and dance, a city in motion between history and modern times. Come and join us in Vienna for Ector 2021. Contact us, www.ecta.org. Ecta Secret Ratio 8 plus 32215-5285. Page 41. Article. Article Disclaimer. Images relating to this article can only be seen in the print and digital versions of this publication. The New Space Race. Who is Racing? Written by Oliver O'Dell, Patent Analyst at Patent Seekers, UK. Introduction. The iconic space race began in 1955 as a technological arms race between the United States of America, U.S., and the Soviet Union to achieve superiority in spaceflight. This has notably given us some of mankind's greatest achievements, from the first artificial satellite Sputnik, launched on October 4, 1957, to the International Space Station and programs that accompany it. After the U.S. arguably won the race by landing on the moon in 1969, it all seemed over. But work continued and has largely developed without competition between countries until recently. Of late, global media has pushed into the spotlight a new group of competitors that seem to have taken up the race. These new competitors include private companies and individuals who might want for adventure and the possibility of profit. Because of this, the possession of intellectual property within this field has never played such an important role. Through the analysis of patent data derived from the patent classification B64G, cosmonautics, vehicles or equipment therefore, it is possible to gain insights into this technological field including potential major players. The question is, will this data align with the companies and individuals portrayed by the media as the front-runners in our civilization's journey into space? Patent Filing Analysis The race for space has created a positive feedback loop within our technological advancement. This has been seen in recent years with the inventions of everyday ideas from memory foam, originally invented by NASA-funded researchers, to cushion pilots during flights, to products that have become invaluable to our current society, such as the cameras that are now used in phones. Figure 1 appears to show that this loop has been increasing in a steady correlation. Still, within this steady growth, it is possible to see several significant advances in patent filings, most notably, these appear to be between the years of 2009 to 2010, 2015 to 2016 and 2017 to 2018. The jump in 2009 to 2010, which follows a period of relative stagnation, could be attributed to the recovery from the financial crisis of 2007-08. 2016 comprised some of the most exciting spaceflight action in recent years, featuring key media figures such as Elon Musk, founder of SpaceX, and Jeff Bezos, joint CEO of Blue Origin, landing orbital boosters and a suborbital rocket, respectively. NASA also launched the OSIRIS-REx probe to study and retrieve a sample of the asteroid Bennu traveling near Earth. Similarly, 
2018 comprised multiple space launches that went above and beyond what had been done before, including TESS, transiting exoplanet survey satellite, launched in April 2018 to discover exoplanets that may be able to support life. The drop in the number of patent filings in 2020 and 2021 is most likely due to the 18-month delay in the publication of patent filings. Another factor that could have contributed to the slight dip from 2019 to 2020 may have been the rise in COVID-19 and the world inevitably grinding to a halt because of it. However, as the world has begun to start slowly moving again, it is unclear how the impact of global lockdowns will affect the future patent landscape. Figure 1. Worldwide cosmonautic-related patent filings between 2001 to 2021. Charts provided by the PAT World Database. Classification Analysis A more detailed look at the key cooperative patent classifications, CPCs, over time will provide insight into the main areas of research and show how the future is shaping up for our new space-age journey. As can be seen in Figure 2, the top three classifications appear to be B64G1-22 parts of, or equipment specially adapted for fitting in or to, cosmonautic vehicles. B64G1-10 Artificial Satellites, Systems of Such Satellites, Interplanetary Vehicles B64G1-24 Guiding or Controlling Apparatus, for example for Attitude Control It would appear that recent advances in this technological field are directed toward rocket control systems. We can see a larger expansion with the means of more efficiently and safely controlling the new age of spacecraft, which could allow crafts to adjust to changing conditions automatically. Further, it would appear that the production and advancement of artificial satellites, earthbound and otherwise, has been a significant area of expansion in recent years. As shown in Figure 2, the next two most prolific classifications identified within this field appear to be B64G1-40 arrangements or adaptations of propulsion systems, and B64G1-64, systems for coupling or separating cosmonautic vehicles or parts thereof, for example docking arrangements. Given the recent advancements in VTVL, vertical takeoff vertical landing, technology in our efforts for deep space travel and propulsion systems, such as solar sails, it is not surprising that B64G1-40 is an active classification. It is also unsurprising that B64G1-64 is active as in recent times, the International Space Station requires the use of coupling and separating systems to allow for the connection of cargo and crew to be safely ferried onto the station. A noteworthy inclusion in the classifications identified in this analysis includes B64G7-00, simulating cosmonautic conditions, for example for conditioning crews. While this class does not have the largest number of patent filings attributed to it, it is nonetheless an important classification for potential future technological advancement. For humans to spend large amounts of time in space, conditioning and technology for avoiding the adverse effects of space travel on human biology will be essential. Figure 2. A heat map of the top 10 cooperative patent classifications and the number of publications within these classifications from 2001 to 2021. Charts provided by the PAT World Database. Global Analysis Through analysis of global patent filing trends, we can see the three main territories appear to be Japan, the United States and China. This is to be expected as Japan and the U.S. have principal space agencies and input into international cooperation initiatives such as the International Space Station, ISS, program. 
Given the nature of the space race technology and the secrecy surrounding these initiatives, it could be expected that domestic patent filings are higher than international filings, whoa, as indicated by figure 3. This could have led to commercial companies acting in a similar manner as a number of large private companies that are in the public eye appear to operate within these top territories identified, see figure 4, particularly if said companies are or were in collaboration with government agencies. Figure 3. Global distribution of cosmonautic-related patent filings by top 10 countries. Charts provided by the PAT World Database. Assignee Analysis. Figure 4 shows the top 10 patent assignees in the space technology field. Surprisingly only one out of the top 10 appears to be a government agency. This could relate to the signing of the International Space Station Intergovernmental Agreement, often referred to as the IGA and has articles that relate to the control and distribution of intellectual property. Interestingly, the remaining nine-tenths appear to be companies and frequently, if at all, referenced by the media. A prime example of an infrequently referenced company is the top assignee Mitsubishi Electric which has considerably more filings than the next highest player. This is a Japanese company that is involved in the production of satellites. Figure 4 clearly shows there are four assignees from Japan, which could be expected given the data identified in Figure 3. Please note Figure 4 does not take into consideration the publication date of the patent filings and therefore leads to the question of how historic filings that occurred in the 20th century may have impacted this chart. Given the relatively low number of European filings, see Figure 4, it is curious to see Airbus within the top 10 assignees. Airbus is a well-known company in the field of commercial flight travel. Still, it would appear they are also involved in cosmonautic activity, with services that relate to satellites and observation, launches, human spaceflight, and exploration. Figure 4. Cosmonautic-related patent filings by the top 10 assignees. Charts provided by the PAT World Database. Conclusion. From the data in this report, we can see that the patent landscape has recently transformed from an arid desert to a thriving environment. Further, with technology that has been developed, such as VTVL and the promise of commercially viable reusable rockets, the opportunity for space exploration by humans has never seemed more promising. It should also be noted that new areas of technology are on the rise due to current research. For example, from mineral data retrieved, from the OSIRIS-REx probe and the biological data observed during the year-long mission of NASA astronaut Scott Kelly, we can derive how both inorganic and organic matter fare during extended periods in space. This may have the potential to be explored in the class B64G7-00 and other classifications, which have been comparatively less active until this point. This report has also highlighted the fact that the people involved in putting us in these new and exciting places may not be who we initially believed. Modern media portrays the new age of competitors in the space race as billionaires with dreams of colonizing far-off worlds. This could be because of the large gestures they perform. However, the data in this report tells a very different story of the untold protagonists working in the background providing underlying systems and technology to lead innovation and aid our civilization to reach the next step into space. Advertisement. Vagnina and Partners, Russia. Trademarks. Patents. Utility models. Designs. Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Moldova, Armenia. Trademarks. Trademark search. Trademark prosecution. Trademark monitoring and trademark litigation. Contact IP at vacnina.iu. 
www.vagnina.com. Tel plus 7-495-231-4840. Moscow, Russia. Page 45. Article. Patent Intelligence, Transforming Patent Information into Insight. Written by Caitlin Kavanagh, Marketing Manager, Mindsoft, UK. Caitlin joined Mindsoft in 2016. She has worked extensively with the Mindsoft support and business development teams to write and edit many articles on a range of hot IP topics, share the latest Mindsoft enhancements and product launches, and organize and attend IP conferences worldwide. Although exploiting your own patent portfolio effectively can be an excellent basis upon which to build business decisions and strategy, it is not sufficient to only know and understand your own portfolio. In this increasingly competitive and global world, understanding your competitors' patent portfolios and how they compare to your own is critical for business survival. As the rate at which new inventions are being patented is ever-increasing, the continuous monitoring of new patents is vital to ensure corporate success and financial stability when attempting to access new markets, exploit existing ones and scope the profitability of emerging products. Patent search and analysis platforms, such as PatBase, are essential for users to search, review, analyze and share patent information, harness the knowledge found in patents, gain competitive intelligence and build on the ideas of others to drive innovation forward. This article focuses on patent landscape analysis, a process that helps inform policy discussions, strategic research planning and technology transfer within a business. Patent landscape reports give a snapshot of the patents in a specific subject area or covering a type of technology. Generally taking one to two weeks to complete, a landscape report can cover hundreds or thousands of patent families. The reports can be used to visualize and discover existing gaps in relevant areas, gain competitive intelligence by understanding the current landscape, predict where your market is heading, and spot trends in areas of interest to aid investment. They are a critical step in the research and development as well as a competitive or patent strategy for any company or institution. You can execute your landscape search more efficiently and accurately with PatBase, a high-quality, comprehensive patent search and analysis platform that uses enhanced data and enables searchers to conduct complex searches across the widest full-text collection available. Building a Patent Landscape Report when starting a patent landscape search, it's important to define in advance what you want to achieve and what your end goals are. You may want to address some or all of these questions while conducting your search. Is this a growing area of interest? What are the fields of current interest? Who are the key players? Where are the key players filing their inventions? Who are the main opinion leaders in this field? What is the legal status of the families in this area? Starting with high-quality data is crucial to the accuracy and precision of any patent search and analysis. If the underlying data used is unreliable, then no final conclusion using that data can be trusted. The data quality and PAT base is maintained by a close working relationship with the top patent offices around the world, making thousands of error corrections to the data we receive and combining it with additional information to add quality to the end file. Recently, Mindsoft and RWS have doubled the number of Chinese assignee names translated in PatBase using a controlled, high-quality human translation, now at 40,000, just one example of the work we put in to continuously improve our backlog of patent data. Take your time to devise your initial search strategy with a combination of keywords, classification codes, assignees and inventors and focus on your subject with several limitation steps. In PatBase, 
Search results can be narrowed down by optimizing results and refining by geographical area, publication date, technology area and assignee. This process allows the searcher to compile a solid strategy and progress to the next stage of the landscape search. PatBase also offers features to broaden the scope of the search, such as semantic searching in PatBase Thesaurus, for specialized technology terms and multilingual translation. PatBase offers a range of features to enhance the efficiency and effectiveness of your evaluation of patents within your landscape search. This means patent data can then be further visualized with detailed and transparent graphs for competitive intelligence and to better understand the industry landscape. Visualize your landscape search by generating statistical graphs in PatBase Analytics v3. View the data from several angles, jurisdiction, year, assignee, inventor etc., and at multiple levels, families, priorities, applications, grants, etc., to reveal answers to the key questions defined at the beginning of your landscape report and easily draw valuable conclusions, ensuring you stay focused on your goal. Who benefits from patent analysis? Patent landscape analyses can be used to provide insight to different stakeholder groups across an organization, including patent specialists and non-patent professionals, such as management, research and development and IP legal departments. A bird's-eye view of market trends and key competitors as well as identification of potential business partners may be appropriate for management teams. Many patent analysis tools provide users with the ability to create visually appealing reports, think bubble charts and 3D graphs, that communicate the results clearly for decision-makers in a boardroom environment. Research and development departments benefit from an in-depth analysis of technological developments in their field of expertise and identification of opportunities for new product development in low-risk areas, which should avoid wasted R&D time and costs. Often, innovation-driven companies will provide their own researchers and engineers with access to patent search and analysis tools to allow them to explore the landscape themselves. The third group for whom patent analysis is of particular value is the IP or legal department who will use the results to identify potential areas of weakness to help form a patent litigation strategy. The inclusion of up-to-date legal status data as part of the analysis makes it extremely valuable. Conclusion Patent information is a vast, valuable source of competitive intelligence, but the volume and complexity of data available can be overwhelming. Patent analysis and landscaping is a means of interpreting patent data, revealing trends and patterns and making it communicable to a broader audience of stakeholders who can draw actionable intelligence from it. Using the increasingly sophisticated tools available to retrieve, analyze and monitor patent information, knowledge and insights can be extracted that help shape commercial strategies. Page 47. Article. Diagnostic Method Patent Eligibility Puzzle. Written by Mr. D.P.S. Palmer, former technical member, patents, erstwhile intellectual property appellate board, special counsel, at Lexorbis, India. Section 3, I, of the Patents Act, 1970 was amended in 2002 to specifically exclude any process of diagnostic, therapeutic or other treatment practiced on the human and animal body to render them free of disease from patent eligibility. However, the question of what is excluded under this exception is not easy to answer even after this provision was implemented as long back as in May 2003. In the absence of any guideline relating to this exception, the general trend earlier was to allow patents on diagnostic methods performed outside the human or animal body. 
The only diagnostic methods excluded from patent protection in almost all the jurisdictions invariably include those whose result immediately makes it possible to decide on a particular course of medical treatment. Those diagnostic methods that provide only interim results normally escape the acts of non-eligibility under the patent law of every country, even where it is conceded that they can be utilized in making a diagnosis. Same subject patent different approaches, the UK, US and Australia. It is not uncommon to find that related, or at times, same subject matter relating to a diagnostic method is treated differently by courts in the UK, Australia, and the US to determine patent eligibility under a legally sound test. For example, in Illumina Incorporated v Premather Health PLC, Illumina, 2017, EWHC 2930, Pat, the UK court identified the relevant test as determining whether the invention claimed was a practical product or process, as opposed to information about the natural world. The claim in this dispute was directed to a practical process being the detection of fetal DNA in a sample of plasma or serum. The court observed that both the samples of plasma serum and the method of detection were artificial in nature and did not exist in the natural world. Therefore, the subject claim is patentable. On the contrary, in the U.S., in IEOSA Diagnostics Incorporated v. Sequinome Incorporated 788F.3D1371, Fed. Kia. 2015, it was decided before the UK case that the same subject matter was not considered as patent ineligible because the court found that the alleged patent was not directed to the patentable subject matter. The circuit judge applied the legal test established in Mayo Collaborative Services v. Prometheus Laboratories. This test required twin determination, first whether the claims were directed to the patent ineligible content and second whether the elements of each claim both individually and as an ordered combination had transformed the claim into a patent-eligible application. Applying the Mayo test, the court held that the claims were directed to a naturally occurring phenomenon and were, therefore, patent-ineligible concepts. The court observed no inventive concept to transform the CFF DNA from a natural phenomenon into a patentable invention. When the same subject matter patent came before the full Federal Court of Australia in an infringement action in REOSA Diagnostics Incorporated v Sequinome Incorporated, 2021, FCAFC 101, where the patentability of the genetic-based diagnostic method claims was questioned, the court took the view that genetic-based diagnostic method claims are patent-eligible. The court observed that, as with other cases involving genetics, the question of patentability turned on drawing a distinction between naturally occurring phenomena and the practical application of such phenomena. The fundamental question before the Court of Appeal was whether what was claimed was a mere discovery of a naturally occurring phenomenon or a method involving a practical application that goes beyond the discovery itself. Claim 1 in question was a detection method performed on a maternal serum or plasma sample is taken from a pregnant female, which method comprises detecting the presence of a nucleic acid of fetal origin in the sample. Speaking on the contested argument of mere discovery, the appeal court observed that the distinction between mere discovery and an invention lies in its practical application to a useful end. An invention may reside in an abstract idea, such as the condensation of steam, that is then put to a useful end even though the way of putting it to that end can be carried out in many useful ways, all of which are otherwise known. It is interesting to note that the subject patent allowed in this case is the same as the cases decided by the UK court, patent allowed, and US courts, denied in view of Mayo, discussed above.
To this extent, the UK court reached the same conclusion as the full court, but the UK court did so by applying different legal tests. Biological inventions occurring outside the human body. Most biological inventions that seek patents exist in the world outside the human body. Nonetheless, the usual legal rules of patentability and interpreting the thin line between in vivo and in vitro as stated in the catena of case law apply. Inventions ranging from mechanical medical devices, medical electrical gadgets, synthetic, medicinal chemicals, electronic medical devices fall within statutory boundaries of patentable inventions in all the jurisdictions. However, when the question of patenting metabolic, genetic, or biotech products crops up before the patent office, it is hit by a wall of unrecognized exceptions. Human intervention, in some instances, is treated as an inventive cute across the statutory line of patentability. Usually, patent claims that require the participation of a human being fit uneasily into patent law. Does it mean inventions that include a human being as part of their structure or operation usually sit outside the patentability spectrum? This question has undergone many rounds of debates within the patent office and in the courts of many jurisdictions. It is also reflected in the statutes and guidelines of many patent jurisdictions. In Diamond v. Chakrabarti, for example, the U.S. Supreme Court has extended the potentially patentable subject almost to the limits of the human imagination. However, biological-slash-genetic-related diagnostic method patent eligibility is always shrouded with a mystery in most jurisdictions, including India. Diagnostic Methods so far as the patentability of diagnostic methods is concerned, they fall under a general exclusion from patentability in all jurisdictions if such diagnostic methods are practiced on the human or animal body. Although patent law after the TRIPS agreement prides itself on being technology neutral, the uncertainties facing patent eligibilities of certain biological inventions leaves many questions on the so-called technology neutrality unanswered when these inventions are kept outside the patent cover in many member states. For example, the discovery of a naturally occurring correlation between a biomarker and a disease, if put into practical use, can be helpful as a method for diagnosing the disease. Still, patent eligibility of such use suffers from the legal stigma of natural phenomena that take it outside the spectrum of patent eligibility in many jurisdictions. Position of Diagnostic Method in Europe and U.S. EPO being quite progressive to match with new vistas of diagnostic inventions, issued guidelines for examination G2, 3.1 to allow patentability of such practical use in a method of diagnosis. In the US, on the other hand, such diagnostic inventions were denied patent protection on the grounds that they are natural phenomena under Section 102 of the US 35 Code. US Patent Office USPTO considers that the discovery of a natural phenomenon is not patent eligible. In Europe, the patent eligibility of biological inventions is guided by EPO directives and rules, which state that an element isolated from the human body or otherwise produced by means of a technical process, which is susceptible of industrial application, including the sequence or partial sequence of a gene, may constitute a patentable invention, even if the structure of that element is identical to that of a natural element. Such an element is not a priori excluded from patentability since it is, for example, the result of technical processes used to identify, purify and classify it. In addition, to produce it outside the human body, techniques which human beings alone are capable of putting into practice and which nature is incapable of accomplishing itself.
The main issue with diagnostic methods before the EPO examiner is a general exclusion under Article 53 CEPC, which excludes the patentability of diagnostic methods practiced on the human or animal body. 53 C. Methods for treatment of the human or animal body by surgery or therapy and diagnostic methods practiced on the human or animal body. This provision shall not apply to products, in particular substances or compositions, for use in any of these methods. In practice, a claim to a method of diagnosis is not patentable in Europe if the method is carried out on the human or animal body, and it includes, explicitly or implicitly, all the steps of collecting data, comparing the data with standard values, finding a deviation from normal, a symptom, and attributing that deviation slash symptom to a clinical picture, i.e. making a diagnosis, decision G1 slash 04. A method that avoids any of these requirements is not considered a diagnostic method practiced on the human or animal body. So that method is patent eligible at the EPO. If the technical steps of the claimed diagnostic method can be carried out separately from the body, then the method can be patent eligible at the EPO. For example, a diagnostic method that is carried out on an in vitro tissue sample is not carried out on the human or animal body, which means it can be patented. Decision T 666-05. Similarly, a method that merely provides information or intermediate results without actually leading to a diagnosis of what is wrong with the patient is not a method that attributes the information to a clinical picture and so can be claimed at the EPO. Examples of such methods that do not reach a final diagnosis include a method of determining ear temperature. Decision T 1555-06, and a method of imaging an artery in a patient by MRI, Decision T 663-02. Both USPTO and the European Patent Office, EPO, consider that the discovery of a natural phenomenon is not patent-eligible. However, unlike the USPTO, the EPO takes the view that a patentable invention can derive from practical use of that discovery. EPO guidelines for examination G2, 3.1, such as its use in a method of diagnosis. For example, the discovery of a naturally occurring correlation between a biomarker and a disease can be put to practical use in the form of a method for diagnosing the disease. A claim directed to a method of diagnosing the disease involving detecting the presence or amount of that biomarker may therefore be patentable at the EPO, even if the underlying naturally occurring correlation is not patentable. Position in India There is a verbatim similarity between the exclusion under Section 3I of the Indian Patent Act, 1970 and Article 53C and EPO so far as methods for the treatment or diagnostic method practiced on humans or animals is concerned for the purpose of patentability exception. 3. What are not inventions? The following are not inventions within the meaning of this Act. I. Any process for the medicinal, surgical, curative, prophylactic diagnostic therapeutic or other treatment of human beings or any process for a similar treatment of animals to render them free of disease or to increase their economic value or that of their products. Interestingly, a claim for a method of diagnosing the disease involving detecting the presence or amount of certain biomarkers is patentable at the EPO with rid of that the underlying naturally occurring correlation may not be patentable. Though the statutory position in Indian law is inclined towards EPO position under Article 53C however, Indian practice appears to be more tilted towards the US practice of blanket ban on patents on diagnostic methods.
The main stress with diagnostic method exclusions at the EPO is a general exclusion from patentability of diagnostic methods practiced on the human or animal body, Article 53 CEPC, like the Indian stand. It is interesting to note that the explanation of the diagnostic method provided by the guidelines for examination of biotechnology applications for patent issued by the Indian Patent Office in 2016 stated. E. Diagnostic methods. Diagnosis is the identification of the nature of a medical illness, usually by investigating its history and symptoms and by applying tests. Determination of the general physical state of an individual, for example a fitness test, is considered to be diagnostic. Therefore, the method for the identification slash detection slash screening of a biomolecule is not considered a diagnosis method. Looking forward. Suppose the Australian decision affirms the established position in Australia that diagnostic methods that relate to the practical application of naturally occurring genetic information, rather than naturally occurring phenomena per se, are patentable. In that case, it provides food for thought to examiners in other jurisdictions to relook into their position and reconsider what amounts to a product resulting from the use of a method claim. Given the exiting trends, it is normal to construe Section 3i exclusions narrowly. Any diagnostic, therapeutic or other treatment practiced on the human and animal body in the meaning of this exclusion is one where both examination and establishment of symptoms on the basis of examination results are performed on a living human or animal. It is true that courts in different jurisdictions differ about patentability issues relating to diagnostic methods, which is problematic. In some instances, it is also expected where it is reasonable to hold differing opinions. The decision of the Australian Appeal Court and the related cases abroad highlights the varying approaches taken by different countries in relation to the patentability of diagnostic methods relating to the use of genetic material. However, one thing is common in all the cases decided by the courts that patent offices around the world favor granting patents on such diagnostic methods rather than giving a blanket rejection. We may perhaps agree with Circuit Judge Lin when he observed in the REOSA case, U.S., that no reason in policy or statute, why this breakthrough invention should be deemed patent ineligible. We can expect the Indian Patent Office to follow a practical use approach rather than a subject matter approach in this nascent but most progressive and growing field of the health industry. A word of caution for those dealing with such cases before patent offices around the world that there is a need to reconsider and weigh the reasons you put forward on the diagnostic method cases in view of the recent decisions of the courts in the UK and Australia in related patents. It is worthwhile to seek expert advice to solve the diagnostic method patentability puzzle. Page 51. Advert. Lex Orbis Intellectual Property Attorneys. Your most trusted IP partner. New Delhi, Mumbai, Bengaluru. www.lexorbis.com. Mail at lexorbis.com. Tell plus 91-11-237-165-65. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Page 52. Article. Strategy Evolution in Times of Change. Dr. Gaurav Sahal, Global Head of Patent Prosecution at Sun Pharma. With many of our members busy evolving their strategies, we asked Dr. Gaurav Sahal, General Manager, IP Cell at Sun Pharma to share how the last few months has changed and shaped their long-term strategy, and his advice for IP leaders currently redesigning their 2021 roadmap. We're also pleased to share Gaurav's story of driving and fostering diversity within his business. Thank you, Gaurav. Question. During an average year, 
When would you share your IP strategy for the following year with the board? Has this been impacted as a result of CV19? Answer. Sun Pharma, being an Indian-based multinational company, our strategy framing conversation starts in December because our financial year ends in March. That being said, the entire IP strategy and budget needs to be in place between December and February and so does our three to five year strategy. We have a three-year full planning strategy where our entire IP strategy needs to be aligned to these products. This tends to be in place by February and then we submit this to management where they have a month to sign off or come back with any feedback. Luckily for us, most of our plans were in place before we went into lockdown although we did have a month delay in getting things finalized. Question. Has COVID-19 affected product launches? Answer. Not really, while there may have been slight delays initially due to the supply chain interruptions, those were managed by our project management team who have buffers in place to deal with such situations. In some cases there were initial challenges as the regulatory agencies, FDA offices, patent office not being open, or people were not available for a timely response, but overall, I would say that we haven't really been impacted and we have always met deadlines. Question. What has been the internal impact within the business? Answer. While I see in many of other sectors how the pandemic has impacted businesses, the pharma industry hasn't really been hit as hard and that's because we are seen as an essential service and the role of our industry has become ever-present. As far as Sun Pharma is concerned, we have been recruiting more personnel and in our IP team, as we have recently gone through a restructure and I would say our team is very much stable now. Has there been a shift on outsourcing investment? Absolutely not. If I have a look at my budget, it remains on the same lines, but there is always a need to stay within budget and do more with what we have available. We don't see a huge impact on our outsourced requirements. Questions? What are you investing in now that wasn't planned at the beginning of the year? Answer. Sun Pharma's IP team are always looking for tools that can add value. On the competition tracking side, we are currently evaluating what we have in place. We are also looking for a tool that can give us more information on SPC-related information. If I want to search for a specific molecule for an SPC that is expiring for example in 2027, how do I do that? I haven't come across a database that can do that as of now if I had something like this in place, it would help me with my portfolio planning. If I want to plan what I do with my portfolio in the next 3 to 5 years, I have to first identify the patent and then go on each patent office website and look at their SPC database to reach my conclusion, this is very costly in terms of my time. Question. What is your message on people and equality? Answer. Sun Pharma is very much a company that offers equal opportunities across the globe irrespective of caste, religion or color. We have 32,000 people globally working at Sun Pharma that come from different backgrounds and we have a rich history of acquisitions, so when you take on assets you have to be open to embracing new cultures and ways of working. Question. A lot of our members have shared positive lockdown stories of agile decision making, has this been the case at Sun Pharma? What does the structure and decision making process look like? Answer. I had the filing. Prosecution and NCEs and Biologics FTO activities at Sun Pharma. Then there is another group that looks after ANDA litigations and FTO for formulations. Both groups work independently and collaboratively and both report to the global head of IP. There is also another group that looks after the portfolio planning of the business. All groups work closely when it comes to portfolio planning and strategy, but given that I work in prosecution, 
I would not want to get involved with litigation because of the protective order and other issues in litigation. In terms of decision-making in prosecution, it is fairly simple. I would take my decisions and supporting recommendations to the global head of IP. But if the matter is huge, decisions are taken a level up with our management team. I am responsible for our database management for all groups. Questions? What has been your biggest learning personally over the past few months? Answer. I would say two things, I see a lot of improvement in my team in terms of problem solving. There were initial challenges, certainly within the first two months and you have to continue to perform, especially given that in March and April we had our annual reviews in the calendar. We also found that with the use of technology, whilst working remotely, the level of activity within the team didn't drop. Questions? What would be your one piece of advice for our IP leaders looking to implement positive long-term change as a result of COVID? Answer. Consolidating your IP services. This will not only save you time and money, but will also improve your productivity. Patent Prosecution in India, Challenges and Opportunities 26th of November 2021, Virtual Boardroom in Association with the Global IP Matrix magazine. To register go to www.insightip.co.uk. Insight IP, Simplified Complexity. Page 53. Advertisement. Insight IP and the Global IP Matrix magazine in collaboration bring you Patent Prosecution in India, Challenges and Opportunities, Virtual Boardroom Event 26 November, 2021, 2 p.m. GMT, 7.30 p.m. IST, 9 a.m. EST Speaker Dr. Gaurav Sahal, Global Head of Patent Prosecution at Sun Pharma, Indian Patent Agent Foreign perspective on Indian patent practice, views from some of the ex-in participants who can share their experience and learnings of Indian patent prosecution and provide their feedback on how to optimize the process. Patent Prosecution Strategy for Indian Patents IP Lifecycle Management, Untapped Potential of Divisional Application and Patent of Addition in India Timelines and Administrative Requirements, How is India Different from Other Jurisdictions? Update on the recent recommendations of the Parliamentary Board of India on the Indian Patent Act, what changes to expect going forward. To register or to speak with us about sponsorship inquiries please go to www.insightip.co.uk. For further information, please contact email lucy.james at insightip.co.uk. Call plus 44-0207-846-0283. Page 54. Advertisement. We have now started the candidate research process for the Women's IP World Annual 2022. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one intellectual property law publication that celebrates the work and achievements of professional women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. We are very proud to provide a platform for women working in intellectual property and innovation by shining a spotlight on their expertise and professional knowledge in their respective fields of operation in IP through engaging thought leadership content. Our annual publication has caught the eye of many IP associations from all over the world. More importantly, it has attracted a cocktail of awe-inspiring, knowledgeable women who are happy to share their professional and personal experiences of working in the industry. 
Our unbiased approach welcomes large, to boutique law firms and female industry professionals at all levels to join our network of remarkable women from all over the world. The famous American journalist and women's rights advocate, Miss Sarah Margaret Fuller Ossoli, once said, If you have knowledge, let others shine their candles in it, and we couldn't agree more. Contact us today if you would like to nominate a candidate to join the Women's IP World Annual 2022, or if you would like to personally share your knowledge, inspire and be inspired. You can contact us on plus 44 0203 813 0457 or email us at info at womensipworld.com. For more information and to check out the latest issue of the Women's IP World Annual, please go to www.womensipworld.com. The Women's IP World Annual, the industry's leading publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. The Women's IP World Annual 2022 is sponsored by Patent Seekers in the United Kingdom and Lexorbis in India. Page 55. Inside Back Cover Advertisement. Patent Seekers, the global patent searchers. Specialist global search services for patent attorneys, universities, technology companies, and SMEs. Services. Patentability slash novelty search. Infringement slash FTO slash clearance. Invalidity slash patent busting. State of the art. Patent mapping slash landscapes. Patent monitoring. Patent status. Competitor analysis. Telephone number, plus double four, O one six. 338-16601. Email, mail at patentseekers.com. Website, www.patentseekers.com. Page 56. The final page, outside back cover advertisement. Interrogate, visualize and understand the technology landscape, whether it's spotting new competition entering a field, potential infringement, licensing opportunities or finding untapped white space for your R&D. Visualize the landscape in seconds with a super-fast and limitless analytics platform. Discover a range of clear and totally customizable graphs, perfect for sharing in a boardroom environment. Drill down into data for even better insights and effectively search across pinpointed data. Create comprehensive reports with a click. With the best quality and most comprehensive data for reliable analysis and forecast of future trends. Visit www.mindsoft.com for more information. Mindsoft, Global Patent Solutions. Patentbase Analytics V3. Thank you for taking the time out to listen to the Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 11. Please make sure to contact us if you would like to share your news stories in future editions of our quarterly publication. Email, info at gipmatrix.com, or call, plus 0457. We look forward to hearing from you. The Global IP Matrix Magazine. IP News, delivered to you by, industry thought leaders.